You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here with you. And Herds, oh mm-hmm. my goodness, this is it. This is the last <laughs> regular episode of the year. Oh my goodness. We are talking the last few chapters, 14 to the end of the Honjin murder case by Seishi Yokomizo, mm. one of the most famed Japanese murder mysteries of all time. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is kind of the this is kind of the fun part about these murder mysteries we cover on the show because you know we're looking for all the high profile, crazy, wacky, high quality murder mystery stories that we all love and enjoy. But sometimes you get one that you you know you you start reading and you say, man, this this story is really like hype about murder mystery. I love that. I love the energy I'm feeling. Oh, this is like weird detective guy. He's not doing anything exciting right now, but who knows? Maybe he'll wow us later. But the the problem with this book is that it stops being excited about murder mystery and suddenly becomes excited about itself. Yes. Um, in a way that is far too self-indulgent. And the 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 detective basically monologues for four entire chapters <laughs> right up to the ending, or pretty much. And it, it just becomes a bit too much. Yeah, I think it's it's a tough one because mm. It's clear to see, on the one hand, why this book is so lauded in history. Mm. Because it is, I guess it was kind of groundbreaking for the Japanese scene to have something that was so openly enthusiastic about uh, about Western murder mystery. You know, clearly we've covered Edogawa Rampo, and he had a deep love for the genre, but he was more into the kind of classic, less puzzle-driven murder mysteries of, you know, Edgar Allan Poe, for example. But when it comes to Seishi Yokomizo, he was the first one to bring in puzzles yep. to the uh, to the Eastern sphere of murder mystery in the way that we kind of treat them on this show. Yep. And one thing that's interesting about the Japanese murder mystery scene, and this is something that I'll have to put a link up on the podcast because <laughs> oh, there's a really no. interesting article that you can read about this hmm. uh, by our friend Craig Sisterton. And the article basically speaks to uh, Soji Shimada, who is the author of the Tokyo Zodiac Murders, another one of the most famous uh, Japanese murder mysteries of all time. And he talks about these multiple phases of crime fiction around the world, how Mm. Edgar Allan Poe and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle are the first phase. The second phase is kind of your golden age detective stories that we like on this show, where we're dealing a lot more with the puzzles, but very kind of hesitant on the story then we have the third phase which is what we kind of accept as modern crime fiction where we're dealing with a very plot driven but puzzle absent murder mysteries uh, and kind of your more conventional crime thriller type of stories and Soji Shimada in that article with Craig talks about the fourth phase of Japanese crime fiction which he kind of kicked off which is this beautiful conglomeration of the modern and the classical, like Keigo Higashino, like Soji Shimada. Mm. And I think that if you look at it in that context where modern Japanese crime fiction is actually kind of ahead of Western crime fiction, where it's gotten back into the puzzles, Mm. it's very clear why Seishi Yokomizo's The Honjin Case is so beloved because even though it does have this crucial weakness, it's a lot more of a forefather to modern Japanese crime fiction than anything else that we would consider, you know, a well-written crime fiction story these days. That's exactly the kind of murder mystery story that I enjoy, one which seamlessly blends the themes and the story and the actual puzzle all together into a neat little bow. The novel we're talking about today is not that story, but uh, (laughs) it is kind of fascinating. As we say, it's, you know, part of the the previous phases of crime fiction. It's very telling that we've, we've come up to 2019 before the novel has actually been translated. That's kind of telling of itself that we, you know, 
if we had had access to this story back in the 1930s, you know, maybe we would have loved it. It would have been right on the the cusp of cutting edge murder mystery stories. Yes, but there was this mild but, interruption yes. in our connection with Japan at the time, There's which is the other one. problem with this book, <laughs> which is we, we've kind of skipped away from the book a little bit, mm. but let's just dive straight into the ending here because oh, yeah. oh, no. our entire crime is resolved. Hello, successfully picked apart the crime. You know, whatever. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. Stick around. Who knows if you mystery. get any points? We'll have but. to find out. <laughs> but, Come on, but, guys. But, 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 but. <laughs> the interesting thing is that... Just nothing happens yes. as a result of this yes. crime. Nobody is punished. Nobody is held accountable yep. because the culprit is already dead. His conspirator really has kind of nothing in well, his this, way. Let me say, when I read this, I read it in a public setting and I laughed out loud at the line that tells us, you know, what happens to Sabro because it's, you know, we've had this three chapter whole breakdown of the crime and what's happened, Sabro's involvement in it. Um, and then we get to the line which says, you know, uh, th- this is when Sabra would be tried, but the political situation in Japan was changing at the time, and I'm not even, you know, exaggerating the shortness of this. And so Sabro was sent off to fight in a war against China and died, mm-hmm. and that's it. That's he's, it. He's in essence, he's our antagonist in the novel, and especially if we not go into you know details here, but if we compare this to a novel like The Dwarf, we we can see that we, despite having a character who has been suspicious since day one, they've been strange, they've been injuring themselves with a blade, they've been in, you know involved from day one, and yet they don't have a satisfying conclusion, and that is by far the biggest problem with this novel. Yes, um, although it does have some rather lovely metaphors that they throw in at the end there, which mm. I liked. Um, the final chapter in this novel is is called the Spider Lilies. They're a plant that grows traditionally in uh, in grave sites and in in this story it's being used kind of cleverly because the spider is shown to to be a sign of um of, of grief and tragedy you know the death of someone but also that now that that tragedy has ended we can kind of we can move on we can see that something beautiful is growing there um they're also sometimes called the flowers from hell yeah which is an exciting title just a little but, subtle you know nothing yeah, you know, nothing too on the it's, nose it's great but yeah <laughs> but the 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 thing that i like about the way that the author has kind of used these flowers is that he's referring to you know as as we saw in the, the opening chapters like the watermelons run down and the houses run down after this murder mission has all taken place everything's been wrapped up yeah um and the flowers starting to grow out of the ruins of civilization which is a very nice so like nature is taking over and they'll be a new, better family that lives on this land maybe in a thousand years, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the other meaning you can take from this is that the author has turned this tragic tale into a lovely little novel that we can like learn from and appreciate. Yeah. So the author is somewhat self-indulgently using this this Spilos as a metaphor for his own like taking of a quote-unquote real story. And I will say... I love that. I love the final chapter of this story. It's a shame the preceding three chapters are rubbish. Yes, we will have to talk about those preceding three chapters at the end of the show because they are mystery and nothing more. Uh, Nothing more. It's great. And that's kind of the other problem with this book is, as we were saying last week, the characterizations just disappear mm-hmm. the moment we start getting into the thick of the mystery. Yep. It re- the, the last part of this novel reads like the solution papers to a better murder mystery mm-hmm. because we're just dealing with the puzzle. We're not worrying about the character. It's like, for example, if you were to look up an online guide 
for a puzzle, this is what you would find. Yeah. It's it's interesting to me because I'm struggling to put into <laughs> words what the problem is, and that's not because it's difficult to put into words what the problem is. It's because it's the same problem yeah. for so long that trying to describe it with as many variations on adjectives as I can <laughs> isn't illustrating the point any better because it's just the same problem. Yeah. The it, it's a shame again that this novel it, it takes so many you know preliminary steps correctly like it has this huge character list with all of the different family members mm-hmm. and the servants and the other family but that's kind of the problem is that we've we've got this setup of like here's twenty odd characters but then none of them have anything to do grandma says oh no my grandson has or, or my son whatever she's a grandma character doesn't matter <laughs> my son has been stabbed he's been murdered and it's like oh is that a clue is that like something that we should pay attention to never addressed no. oh Rusuke is the one who's like breaking down the door. Maybe they'll accuse him in a later scene. That'll add to the drama of the scene. Doesn't happen. Nope. Like none of these additional characters are given any additional spotlight or tie into the murder of of the story. It's really just one mastermind and one murderer and one, well, which one or more victims. In fairness it's, to the yeah. puzzle, as we'll get into in the last part of the show, does allow you to solve a device X. Yeah, for sure. Which sure. on a technical level it's is, is kind of an achievement, yeah. but it's not an achievement that I wanted. Yeah. I want to, before we like stray from this topic completely, I want to just say, go read uh, Money in the Morgue by Naira Marsh and Scylla Duffy. Yes. I think that that is a story that has a, a cast of characters like this, but still uses every you know piece of the puzzle piece on the board, as they say, yeah. uh, efficiently and well and ties everything into the story in a way that is engaging and, and entertaining and interesting. And that still did yeah. have a bit of a goofy ending where it we did. were a bit lost towards the end, yeah. but it still but it ended was, up paying off, which is the fun. difference here. Yeah, for sure. The other detail of storytelling that I would love if Seishi Yokomizo didn't dedicate two entire pages to congratulating himself for it, <laughs> is when yep. we get to the end of the book and he's talking about the ways that he foreshadowed the true nature of the crime. Oh, by saying yes. That it wasn't that husband and wife. It was no. that couple lying there, not murdered, but soaked in the crimson of their own blood the, because one of them was a suicide. No, I mean, the line for me was when he said that man and woman had been stabbed, but like... It was a different man. like, mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, look at how clever I am for not specifying which man had been stabbed. It's like, okay, like thanks. These like, are the kind of details that make me love rereading murder mysteries. Yeah. And if you point them out in your own ending, it spoils the reread. Yeah. You take the fun out of it. I still enjoyed reading this, this story, and there were lots of moments that I thought, oh, that's that's very clever. I'm enjoying I'm enjoying this in the moment, but looking back on it, it's it, it's rough. It's a rough one to recommend. It's a rough one to reread. Mm. I feel I just feel bad for the three fingered man. If I'm being totally honest, all, all this that's true. Actually, we should discuss that last <laughs> thing mess, before we in throw the mystery. <laughs> but the the thing is with this book is I think if you were to go in with the expectation we would set by telling you that it is this way that it doesn't have that characterization, I think you could just have fun just cruising through it in an afternoon because it's not really that long. No. If you were to go into it expecting a story, you'd be let down. Mm-hmm. Now, let's pivot to that three-fingered man. Oh, because, no, we're doing it now? Okay, come in. This is an interesting point in the story because <laughs> the three-fingered man is, again, an example of a character that's just completely lost to the mess of a puzzle that it is. is put together. Well, yeah. But... I did kind of like that they put him in as a sympathetic victim to an mm-hmm. otherwise kind of... Well, I, but he's not a victim, though. Like, the three-fingered man's reputation is uh, on the line, so to speak. But, of course, that's what ties into why the mystery 
doesn't make a lot of sense when we pan out the camera. Who thought this would work? Trying to pin a crime on a dead man who is very easily identifiable by yes. the picture that you use to plant evidence. It's madness. Yeah. It's madness. The, the thing I do like, though, is that he is kind of a victim in a way that is parallel to the thematics of the story, uh-huh. which is what every other part of this puzzle was missing. <laughs> so his reputation is destroyed by sure. these reputation-obsessed wealthy people, and that is a very thematically nice tie-over to the whole concept of the motivation of this murder. It's a shame that it's a little buried, pun intended, uh-huh. because I think that there was actually a, you know, there could have been a really nice moment to go there and speak with his sure. mother instead of just sending a police officer off and be like, go check that house down the road. And then he comes back. It's like, oh, it was the guy's mother. It's like, just say she, just come on, just give me a character. Yeah. Give me something to attach myself to, please. <laughs> give me, give me anything. Throw me a, you know, half dead person. Anyway, that is all the time we have for this bit. Stick around because we will be discussing the murder, the mystery, the puzzle of this book coming up at the tail end of the show today. You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are discussing Seishi Yokomizo's The Honjin Murder Case. You're listening to 2SER. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Hello. Oh. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. We didn't realize when we recorded <laughs> The Honjin Murder Case that this was going to be our, uh, our Christmas special, effectively. Christmas special. Merry Christmas. This is our gift to you. Yes. Actually, if you wanted to check out our episode with Andrew Popel from last year, looking oh, yeah. at all of the stories around Christmas and how it ties in with murder mystery, you can go check that out on the Great Conversations podcast from last year. But Herds, yeah. we have to break down the list for review season oh, this year. Oh, we must. Oh, my goodness. Where we go through, we rank, review, and uh, kind of give our thoughts on yeah. all of the novels we've covered this year. It's super exciting ranking them. Yeah, yeah. We'll be given a, a thorough breakdown of, of all the novels and movies and TV shows that we, you know, discussed this year you know, as part of review season. But for now, we'll just go through and give you our rankings, let you know what we thought of all the all the different stories we checked out this year. Yeah, so our criteria kind of for this year is mainly the most accessible, what mm. we recommend the most. Yeah. And then if we can't separate them based on that, just what has the yeah. best puzzle mystery. It, it's not necessarily worst to best, although it does, you know, correlate in that direction. Uh, but it's, it's more about, you know, if you want to sit down, just pick up a murder mystery book, what would, re- what would we recommend first? You mm-hmm. know, what's what's first on the list? And I do think that, you know, these are all, well, mostly, these are mostly good books and such. Mostly. Uh, mostly. Uh, <laughs> and we would recommend most of them. Yes. Uh, but, you know, you know, listen on and we'll, we'll tell you a tale. First up, Miss Fisher in the Crypt of Tears with an oh honorable goodness. mention for Enola <laughs> Holmes. It's a great, fun movie, but it is, it is just bad. If you're a fan of Miss Fisher, you know you're a fan of Miss Fisher and you will enjoy it but nothing more. Uh, next up, The Sign of the Four uh, as, a, as an uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story. It's uh, one of the very first Sherlock Holmes mysteries. Uh, we've ranked it this low simply because of some uh, timely issues. It's not really a, a book for the 21st <laughs> hasn't dated century. Well. It hasn't dated well, but, you know, it's a classic, so mm. give it a listen if you want to have a history lesson. Up above that, BBC Sherlock, which is just complete chaos in 16th place. Mm. Only watch the first season if you really want something good. And even then, temper your expectations because it's basically professional wrestling in murder mystery form. Up next is Opening Night at the Vulcan by Nio Marsh, one of the four queens of crime. Uh, a good little story. Uh, it has some some highs and lows. It really encapsulates the feeling of the theater. The theater itself in the story of the Vulcan is really a character of its own. 
and uh, the atmosphere that it, that it creates is just so wonderful. But it is brought down by some of the mystery elements, so it is ranking in the lower half for this year. <laughs> the next up is Sherlock in Shanghai by Cheng Xiaoqing, which is a wonderful experiment to bring the trappings of Sherlock home to Chinese fiction and is such a great cultural touchstone if you're curious at checking out early 20th century Chinese fiction, and we love it. Even though it uh, it doesn't rank particularly highly on the accessibility, <laughs> that's okay. It's a, it's a wonderful time. Up next, the Honjin murder case, uh, a Japanese murder mystery that we're checking out right now as you're listening to us. Uh, this is one of those stories that is is so hyped that it falls over itself by the end, so it ranks mm-hmm. a little bit long on the list. But it's still a good story. Yeah, still thoroughly recommend it. Coming up after that in 11th and 12th place is uh, Elementary and Guy Ritchie's Sherlock, which we've bunched together because we think they're fantastic, but they are so separate, but really something you should consume together as a Mm. piece of the Sherlock canon. Up next, The Cuckoo's Calling by Robert Galbraith, an excellently told piece of modern uh, detective fiction. Uh, It it has so many interesting aspects. The way it handles Greek mythology and ties everything, the mythos of the detective and the Watson together is so fascinating. But unfortunately, it it doesn't quite feel like a complete package on its own by the end. Coming in ninth place, the first murder mystery I ever read with the intention of solving it, that being A Decent Interval by Simon Brett. Charles Paris's power dynamics as he tries to figure out how to be a youthful individual at the ripe old age of old is so charming, and it was so great to return to this story. Next up, Sarah's Slam. Uh, this is a funny one. Uh, it's a bit of a straightforward story, less of a murder mystery, more of a character study, a nice, cozy little story uh, about Master Riot, the gardening detective. Thoroughly, uh, thoroughly recommend this if you want something neat and cozy to curl up with. Cozy is the word, mm-hmm, indeed. Mm-hmm. Coming in seventh place, The Early Cases of Akeshi Kogoro by Edogawa Rampo, one of the foundational texts of the iconic Japanese murder mystery canon. And the way that it approaches its puzzles is incredibly clever with some great atmosphere and has aged surprisingly well for some of its more bizarre inclusions. Murder on the Orange Express by Agatha Christie. This, again, is a classic of the genre uh, with a, a twist in its murder mystery that I dare not spoil here. Excellent character work and all confined on one little train. Yeah, and you can really mm. see with these previous three from Sayonara Slam through Murder on the Orient Express mm. how we had to separate them by puzzle because these books are really, really close now. Yeah, hearts, yeah. But Agatha Christie and then Akeshi Kogoro just have increasingly, uh, increasingly clever mysteries, puzzles. Yeah. Mm. Up next in fifth place, Money in the Morgue by Stella Duffy and Nio Marsh. An absolute triumph of returning to an unfinished script by Nio Marsh and Stella Duffy carrying it through to the end with... Only the best forms of chaos. In fourth place, oh, God. Good Murder, <laughs> a novel that Flex didn't think he would ever love, uh, but Mr. Robert got the mad genius, has brought him around uh, to the fan club, and I couldn't be happier. He's done something that I, I could only dream of. It's it's a challenging book, but it was worth mm. it in the end. Absolutely. Then in third, second, and first place, respectively, The Rules of Backyard Cricket, All the Tears in China, and The Devotion of Suspect X, these three books are near perfect novels, Herds. Mm. And I, I couldn't choose between them. We honestly. really couldn't, which is why we had to introduce the separating by mystery it's category. True. It's true. A technicality at best. It, it really is a technicality at best because I this is picking my favorite children, oh, yeah. really. Mm. And I would I would ask that not only do you read these books because they are unfathomably good, but you check out the episodes and stick around for the reviews because they are just some of the best pieces of murder mystery fiction I've ever read. 
Mm. And uh, Herds, that's yeah. our list. That's it, Flex. All 18 places plus asterisk and all the homes. <laughs> plus the asterisk. It's, we're, we're pulling a Van Dyne here with the subcategories. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's it for this year. So enjoy the rest of the Honjin murder case. And uh, we'll see you in review season. That yeah. we will. Be sure to get subscribed to the podcast so you mm. don't miss out on the enormous news we have coming at the end of review Woo! season. You have a huge project coming next year and you can subscribe on any of your favorite podcast streaming platforms. This is Death of the Reader. We're talking the Honjin murder case here on 2SER 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here discussing Seishi Yokomizo's The Honjin Murder Case, chapters 14 to the end. And Herds, it is time to unpack this puzzle, to unravel this (laughs) Koto string, to unwind this mechanism. I mean, you kind of already did that. Device X, device (laughs) X, device X. You kind of already worked out most of it. You know, cheering part two. So I, I don't know what you want to unpack here, aside from maybe the exact implement of the Koto board. I think that's the only thing that you really were like stuck on. I'm still not entirely sure, to be honest, uh-huh. how I was stuck on it. Because, I mean, partially because it was so mind-numbing reading the three-chapter-long yes. monologue yes. of how this crime was done. Like, oh, yeah. Could it have been any more exhausting? I don't think so. I think that it's, look, I want to say good things about this novel, but it's making it hard for me. It is, it is. The the, the problem, again, is that because it takes three entire chapters to explain something that if you're an active reader, you will have figured out at least most of, it is laborious to have the story that you've just like, like, you figured it out. We don't need this much time to go over the facts over and over again, right? We don't need it. I, I think the the achievement of this story mm. is that it was able to pull off device X in a way that wasn't particularly frustrating. Sure. I think it's that poetic. if you weren't putting in the effort to solve it as you went, it would have been a pretty blindsiding ending because mm. I think you probably would have expected the Van Dyne trick that I mentioned in earlier episodes, which was a very simple trick that would have busted the crime open if there was another culprit, but it doesn't solve the murder-suicide part. On the one hand, I'm glad that it is a device X that can be solved because mm. even though it breaks the Knox rule that we can't have any you know complex scientific devices or poisons yeah, there I mean, in that... It's just a string and a sword, but yeah, you know. Well, I, I know, but it still requires <laughs> a long explanation, sure, which is the key sure, part sure, of the sure. Knox problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is nice that it is kind of geometrically linear. Yep. It does spend a lot of time pointing out the clues, but never, never really pointing towards what they were used for. Yeah, The way that if you trace back through uh, Kosuke Kindaichi's method for solving this murder, you'll actually notice that he effectively solves the murder in Mm. the order that the string took its path over the cliff. As you progress through the book, you are forced to think of these things in an order, which helps lend credibility to that final solution. Mm -hmm. Which is a bit bizarre and a little bit weird. So I think as far as implementations of Device X go, it is compelling. Yeah, Um, I I also like, I do want to say, I like that, because we, we talked about this, you know, when you are asking... How do how do how much of this device X do I have to explain? You know, and I said you just do your best, and that's because if you just say it was a device X that opened the lock room, you don't necessarily uncover the who. Yes, like this is this is the thing, right? The novel sets up very clearly that um, based on the standard rules of a of a locked room murder mystery, there is only one opening 
you know, one opening to the building and is one that, you know, it's like a being propped open. It's like a little window on the roof and no, no person will be able to slip through, but a sword could. And so if you are clever enough and, and, you know, perceptive enough to realize that this locked room, I prefer the term persistent. Uh, <laughs> this, this device X is, uh, is reliant on not a person sitting out the locked yeah. room, so to speak, but a, an actual device you have to come to the conclusion by the end of the novel that it is orchestrated by the person inside the room, that it is a suicide because otherwise like why, like if we, if we have to have a murderer, then the murderer has to get in and out of the room. Yeah. So therefore, based on the rules that we know from the genre, the murderer has to be someone who's inside the room at the time of the murder, at the time that everybody investigates. Um, I think that the the part of the solution that does frustrate me a little bit is that it is an accidental locked room, which is a little weird. Yeah. That like, because the setup for this is that there was supposed to be false footprints leading away from the locked room, so as mm. to make it seem like it wasn't a locked room when it really was, which is a weird thing to do, but whatever. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I think that it lends it lends authenticity to Saburo's role in the crime. I guess. I but guess. The interesting thing is, is it kind of falls neatly into the way that I solve crimes, where mm-hmm. I go back and I check to see who could have done it and how they could. Mm-hmm. So when I got to Kenzo and basically there was only one way he could have done it and it yep. explained that entire thread of events, mm-hmm. again, pun intended. Stop that. It's my. <laughs> I thought that was my bit. I was the pun man. I haven't had a good opportunity yet. So I'm, I'm looking for one. It does mean that it slots in very nicely to the way that I solve murder mysteries mm. because when I get to the correct culprit, it's just there it's laid out in front of me very straightforwardly and i think that there there is still obviously the standard device x problem where we can't ever really tell what happened inside the room for sure there is a a concept that you and i kind of use behind the scenes where Mm -hmm. we look at how just anything could have happened we don't know until we open up the locked room exactly the locked box and it's kind of a fun thing to unpack that even in a story with a device X where anything could have happened, there's still a separation between the action of the mechanism Mm -hmm. and the mechanism of the mechanism because one is very set linear, pun intended, and easily possible, whereas the other portion of it, the bit inside the annex house, is just impossible to figure out by premise of the setting. For sure. And that leaves a really nice aura of mystique, which I wish the story had capitalized more on. Mm. Because when it comes to this mystery, it is so obviously presented to us immediately when we speak with Saburo from Kosuke's perspective. He says, how do you think, how do you think mechanisms work in murder mystery? <laughs> and Saburo's like, oh, geez, I don't know. I, don't I have know. no idea. I don't know. I, could- <laughs> murder mystery, I, I never even knew her. Like, oh. How much more fun would it have been to just have a chapter-long tangent or two mm. about, you know, the rumors spreading around the family of the hauntings and yep. the pain and the ghosts of the family, talk more about the lineage, because then you could have established the thematics, established the impossibility of the crime, still set up the device X, done all of this stuff without changing any of the rest of it. Mm. <sighs> it's Well, that's the most baffling thing, isn't it? That just adding a little bit more about the family and giving us something to latch onto there, because... You know, there are all these characters and none of them really matter. And yet it's a short book. I think, if anything, it's useful for other murder mystery writers to, to, you know, see not just the tricks used in this book, but also can, like, he's written his own little footnotes, encyclopedias of, Mm -hmm. like, or references. He's he's inserted references into his essay about 
about murder, murder mystery fiction. Yeah. You can look at all these novels that he's that he's mentioned in the book and see how they've mm. you know done it better or worse depending on your perspective, and and sort of see where their inspiration is coming from. So I think for authors, people getting into writing or even just critiquing and deconstructing murder mysteries like yeah. us, like. It's great. It's good for that. It mm. is interesting to consider that maybe this was intended as a deconstructive text, yeah. at which it spectacularly fails <laughs> because it falls for the classic deconstructive trap of doing all of the tropes it's setting yep. out to critique. Yep. I, I don't mm. think that there's much to unpack there other than that is another possible interpretation that may bring you enjoyment reading through this yep. book. It's a formative work and that's where it sits and that's where we yep. have to respect it, right? But here we are, Herds, at the end of the year. Review season is on our doorstep Mm -hmm. as we step over towards the new year, 2021. We have a lot more books to go through on review season this year (laughs) and some big announcements to make. So be sure to stick around through review season. And uh, I'm looking forward to what we're going to cover next year. Next year's going to be exciting. I Look, I know know you have your plans. I got my plans. I'm going (laughs) to shake things up next year. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to 2021. Next year, we are going to begin with Inspector Imanishi Investigates by Seicho Matsumoto. That's exciting. Who was the author we were attempting to cover points and lines, but I cannot believe how difficult (laughs) it is to track down that book. Getting a hard copy of that book was going to cost me $1,000 per copy. We don't have that budget. We don't have that budget. We don't have it. If there is a rich Saudi prince out there who can give us that kind of budget, let me know. At so we, and hurts. <laughs> we are doing Inspector Imanishi Investigates. I am going to be taking a break. Not telling you the chapters immediately, but okay. stay tuned through review season or look at our socials at Flex and Herds, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter stay to keep tuned. on top of the chapters that we will be covering because I haven't started reading it yet. We're taking a bit of a research break through review season to check up on some novels that we're going to be covering next year. But we are in for such a treat with mm. authors like Seicho Matsumoto, Soji Shimada, who I spoke about earlier and it'll be a blast getting there. Herds. Yeah, and if you have any recommendations for books we should you want to see covered on the show, let us know at Flex and Herds on Twitter and Facebook. This has been Seishi Yokomizo's The Honjin Murder Case. We have been Flex and Herds here on your Murder Mystery World Tour on 2SER for 2020. Thank you for sticking with us. Stay tuned in the coming weeks for review season and we will see you bright and early next year. The brand new book. This is Death of the Reader. <laughs> <laughs>